It's a Friday episode of Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And that means we are looking to get through this because we're heading into a weekend. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Courtney Stolfi, and Laura Johnston, who I'm sure want to take full advantage of one of the last weekends of summer. And I know, Laura, I've said summer is waning a number of times and you've regularly said, no, 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 not so fast. But I don't think you can correct me today. You got two weeks to lay. Day. Yeah, and my kids go back to school on Tuesday. So I did my what could be my last sunrise summer swim of the season on Lake Erie this morning. And it was Courtney, I don't know if you saw the lake this morning. It was gorgeous. Just oh. I mean, it was a good good sunrise, flat lake. So I'm trying to squeeze every little bit out of the summer. Well, it's good you did it today and not Monday because we're supposed to get a lot of rain on Sunday, and you know what that means. <laughs> <for the lake. laughs> Sewage in the lake. <laughs> Let's get going with the big story. The Deshaun Watson penalty phase is at last over. And with him in the NFL agreeing to what will happen as a result of his encounters with massage therapists, we have a settlement. What do the Browns have to say about their star quarterback, Lisa? Well, let's talk about the settlement. Uh, and this was a settlement. So the uh, the uh, appeals officer, Peter C. Harvey, didn't even get to rule because the NFL and the NFL Players Association reached a settlement yesterday. Watson will sit out 11 games. He'll pay a $5 million fine. And then he has to go through mandatory evaluation and treatment for his behavior. Um, and then there's the, the fine, the $5 million fine, plus $1 million each from the NFL and the Browns will establish a $7 million fund to promote education on sexual misconduct and healthy relationships. So Watson will get to play the final six games starting December 4th against, ironically, the Houston Texans, his team where all the trouble started. So Jacoby Brissett will be the starting quarterback until then. Also, Watson will forfeit $57,500 per game of his base salary, which is $1 million is his base salary. So he'll end up paying $632,500 in that situation. So in a statement, Watson said that he appreciates the tremendous support from the Browns organization. He's working to become the best version of himself on and off the field. Jimmy and Dee Haslam in their statement said that we respected the process. The ruling is, quote, a real opportunity to create meaningful change. And we will continue to support Watson as he earns the trust of our community. Well, let's put it in perspective. The the Browns fashioned that contract figuring he was going to lose a lot of games this year. So the bulk of the money he gets paid comes in later seasons. Financially, this is not as big a hit as it would be if that contract had been equally broken apart year by year. The the 11 games does pretty much take the Browns out of it for this season, unless by some miracle the fill-in quarterbacks can do it. If he was going to be out six games, it was a thought, well, okay, you know, if they hang in there for six games or seven or eight games, but let's face it, 11 games, you're talking almost two-thirds of the season, it's very unlikely that they'll be a serious contender when that's over. In addition, he's going to be rusty because he'll have missed 28 games. I, I do think it's telling that the NFL – would not bend much. There was there was Mary Kay Cabot, who's done phenomenal reporting for us on this, 
reported at one point that they were pushing for 12. The Browns were pushing for eight. She thought they might settle at 10, but they didn't. The NFL got the 11 and they probably took off the 12th because they knew they'd be in Texas and figured that would be good for ratings. But the NFL seems like it really wanted to set a new precedent. If you remember back to the original ruling that he'd be out the uh, six games that they said that, you know, the precedent here is for nonviolent crimes like this, you know, there is no precedent. Well, now there's a precedent. The next person that does something abusive that doesn't involve violence will be facing a much more serious penalty than previously. And you get the feeling the NFL really wanted to establish that. Yeah, and the mediator, Sue L. Robinson, didn't point that out, and which is why she landed on six games. And she said, you can't just really, you know, change your policy after the fact. So I think the NFL is going to take, hopefully, a really hard look at their conduct policy and then shore it up just so. And I think this is probably a shot across the bow for people who might behave like Watson did and, you know, say, hey, you know, if I do this, I could be out 11 games or more. So I think we're going to see some policy changes from this. The the uh, Rape Crisis Center of Cleveland put out a statement saying we stand by women and they're very unhappy with what's going on. Uh, they came out strong after the six-game suspension came out. They hadn't been very vocal before then. We, we heard from women locally. We heard from women across the country that were very angry that the Browns got him with this thing in his background. A lot of people said they'll never watch a Browns game again. Ted died and wrote a column saying, you know, if you look at the history, they win a few games, all will be forgotten and forgiven. With this penalty, do you think any of that changes or is it the same that if he wins a few games when he comes back, then this will become a memory? I don't know. Browns fans are very, very um, intense. Um, I, I, I think there will probably be a small percentage that will probably never watch them again. But, you know, uh, the Browns are so tied with, you know, the psyche of Cleveland. I just think that if they start winning and and if Watson, he, and he has to behave. I mean, he has to comply with this treatment. And if he doesn't, you know, he won't be reinstated. And that's up to his therapist to decide that. So I don't know. I, I, I think fans will come back. I, I, I honestly do. And, you know, if he really shows this effort to improve. I mean, look, we took a chance on Kareem Hunt. And the Haslam said as much. You know, Jimmy Haslam said, hey, I believe in second chances. We gave one to Kareem Hunt and it turned out very well. So, yeah, guys now wants to be traded. <laughs> um, uh, Courtney, what where where do you think you're you're of a, of a later generation? Do you think people um, who are younger fans will feel the same way? You know, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. I think there is that loyalty, like Lisa said, people love the Browns, even if their QB is found to have done all this uh, nasty stuff to other people. I, it, To take a step back, it feels to me like he'll still get most of his contract money. He's going to get hundreds of millions of dollars from the Browns after the judge found that he did this. And that almost feels like the rest of the punishments moot. He is getting hundreds of millions of dollars after he was found to have done these awful things to people. And that's pretty gross to me, at least. I, I think the fans from other teams will end up playing a part in how Cleveland sees itself, right? Like mm. getting booed at a different game is going to make people rethink cheering for him. 
Does that make any sense? Or, or do you think it'll get Cleveland's backup that they'll start to defend him if everywhere he goes they boo him? Was it, will it play to the chip, the perpetual chip Cleveland mm-hmm. has on its shoulder? Like, who do you think you are booing our guy? Well, I don't that's, know. It's... That's, it'll probably play both ways, honestly, depending on your personality and what you believe. But it is a reminder. You can't, you're not going to forget what he did. No, he could be the NFL's new villain. Well, we are, because there has been so much speculation back and forth, we're heading down a path where I think we're going to do a scientific survey on, on a number of topics. But one of them, one of the topics we're going to try and get at is how much has this Deshaun Watson incident meant to Browns fans and what will it do to their behavior? And then maybe in a year, follow up and say, so how many games did you watch? Uh, because it would be nice to figure out, does this have staying power? Uh, are are the angry emails we received indicative of a pattern? Or did we just hear from vocal people and most people will kind of follow the team as they always have? Anyway, it's uh, it's nice that that's over and, and people are moving forward. There There's no appeal. Like Lisa said, this is it. And unless he screws up, that will be his penalty. It's today in Ohio. Anyone driving along Interstate 271 in Mayfield knows how big of a presence progressive insurance is, at least for now. How might that presence shrink, Laura? Well, it's they're going to be selling five buildings. And it's not just Mayfield. We're talking Mayfield Heights and Highland Heights are part of this five building group, as well as the plan that the progressive is going to sell off a planned third campus. Never did anything. It's just empty land behind a library. But they were thinking about a future campus. They're going to sell that. And it's all because the workforce is continuing to work remotely. After about two years of the pandemic, they reopened their offices early this summer, I believe, and they didn't really see a change and how people behaved. So I think, you know, we've been wondering, we've been talking about this for two years, what's going to happen to the city specifically downtown and what's going to happen to these suburbs that depend on a lot of office traffic. And this is a very clear signal that real estate holdings are going to change. It's funny though. We were talking before the podcast about what we might do because I'm leaning more and more heavily to having a much greater presence in the office. And you saw that Apple has done that. And I think Facebook has done that. Peloton has done that. They're saying you got to come back. And if you don't come back, you're out of a job because they're detecting chinks in that armor, that things aren't going as well as they were early in the pandemic. And they want people together for that workplace culture. They want people together so they can monitor the work more easily. Uh, And so I'm wondering whether this is premature. I mean, think about it. We had this profound cultural change from Mm -hmm. the pandemic where everybody stopped working in the office and went home. And we've only gone two and a half years. We're barely beyond. We're not even beyond the pandemic. It's still with us very much. Do you really want to start making these very expensive decisions before you know the true end, especially with other companies making the opposite decision? I mean, you sound like a mayor of one of these towns, right? Don't sell the No, buildings. no, no. You'll don't say back. that. <laughs> <laughs> these buildings only make up 5% of the company's real estate holdings. So that is, we are not talking a big chunk. And that's what the mayors are saying. You know, they're keeping the jobs. What I love about them saying we're keeping the jobs in Mayfield really means we're keeping the income tax in Mayfield. Yeah, so, right. I mean, I don't know that that is all played out yet. I don't know what they've seen in the people requesting refunds. But, you know, 
as, as hot as real estate market was for homes, it's very soft for offices right now. And so the suburban offices are work, worth, not worth, but they're, they're doing a little bit better in the market because people are very, are more likely to drive to a building where they can park right outside and walk in a door rather than going to a parking garage and circling up and finding a space and going back down and walking to their building. So I, you know, maybe we see that maybe that's the future. Like this hybrid work is going to be at more convenient office locations. Yeah. And they said they're getting rid of their their lesser locations quality wise. So yeah. this could just be a winnowing. I don't know though. I, I mean, anecdotally, I, the more, more and more as I talk to people, they're talking about how they feel a loss from not having that workplace culture. And But when, when there's a shortage of workers, when you're competing for all the same employees, if employees want to work from home, they're going to choose the company where they don't have to come into the office. I think that's going to be something you have to weigh. For people that insist on that. Yeah. I, although the pendulum will swing. The mm-hmm. economy doesn't stay that way forever. Correct. Right. Um, and again, I've talked to to people who are who would like to be back more often. It's a it's a when progressive. Let's face it. Mayfield lives and dies by those income taxes from progressive. So little swings in that can be very meaningful for that tiny village, which raises questions about why does that tiny village exist? <laughs> why don't we have more bigger municipalities? We talked about this yesterday. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How is State Senator Matt Dolan trying to bring some measured thought back into the debate over gun rights in Ohio following a failed effort by Governor Mike DeWine? Courtney, this was a bit of a surprise. Matt Dolan had tried to to run for Senate. It did very well, but didn't beat J.D. Vance, who has pretty much disappeared from Ohio. But now he comes to the fore with a very not- conservative proposal. You know, when you're running for as a Republican these days, you've got to be to the furthest right fringes. It seems like the fringiest of fringe people are the ones that get on the ballot. And this is not what voters for those folks want. Yeah. So Senator Dolan, he's Chagrin Falls uh, representative in the state Senate. He's, you know, saying that on that bid for, for Senate, he really came away with the takeaway that voters want measures that address gun violence that also respect and maintain the Second Amendment. So he's saying that run really kind of informed this move, which I found interesting. And what this bill does is it's kind of a remixed version of a bill he introduced for DeWine back in 2019, but it changes some things up. So one piece of this bill is going to be $175 million in stimulus money to fund regional mental health crisis centers and help pay to hire mental health workers in schools, hospitals, nursing homes, nursing homes and clinics. But a big piece of this goes back to it's a red flag law. They're trying to get away from that language because that's been a, a political. It's a red flag. <laughs> right. But it is a red flag law. So it sets up a legal process that he said is a little bit more aimed at, at due process and tightens up some things in that prior version of the bill. But basically what would happen here is a judge would have to find a person hits essentially a a pink slip. They'd have to make a determination that they could be involuntarily committed to a hospital for mental health reasons. And if they hit that bar, then the person would go before a judge and that and before a mental health professional. And that would be 
needed before a judge could rule then that police can go and seize their weapons. So it does have some changes there aimed at giving folks a little bit more due process before guns are taken away, even if they haven't been convicted of crimes. Dolan's problem is he is in a legislature because of gerrymandering has just been wackadoodle. I mean, Mike DeWine put in very reasonable gun rules, really pushed hard on multiple occasions, and he got nowhere. So Matt Dolan probably faces a very uphill battle. But isn't it nice to see a, a Northeast Ohio Republican trying to pull his party back toward the center from the the crazy place it has been this is this what he's proposing is basic common sense and i should say he's uh, he's written a piece for us we'll publish in the next day or two where he more fully lays out his thinking here so look for that in the next few days on cleveland.com and in the plain dealer but it's just so nice to see a republican in ohio being reasonable Yeah, we're already seeing pushback from gun groups. They don't like other provisions. But I did want to lay out a couple more things that this bill would do. Some some other little things. You know, someone between the age of 18 and 21, we know young folks acquiring guns, gun violence in cities. It's a lot of young folks, right? It would require those folks to get a cosigner to buy a gun who's 25 years or older. And that cosigner could be held civilly liable if 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 that gun is then used to commit a crime before the person turns 21. I thought that was interesting. There was definitely pushback from gun groups on that. And then there's also provisions that would um, allow private gun sellers to require local police to fer- certify that someone who's buying their gun hasn't been convicted of a crime that stops them from doing so. So there's other stuff in here, and all of it seems to be getting pushback like we'd probably kind of expect at this point. What's sad is the pushback when we say it's from gun rights groups. It's really not gun rights groups. It's gun manufacturers who control those groups. And these rules would reduce gun sales. If I had to sign for somebody, if I had a kid that was under the age and he needed my signature to buy the gun, I'm unlikely to do that, right? Because you don't want that liability. You don't want to face losing everything you own in case something goes wrong, which means fewer gun sales. And it's always characterized as it's a gun rights group, but it's not. This is all about the gun manufacturers continuing to push for gigantic levels of sales. Uh, I, I wish him well. I think he's got a mountain to climb. It's today in Ohio. Speaking of wackadoo Republicans, are national level Republicans getting worried now about losing Rob Portman's seat in the U.S. Senate to a Democrat? What big step this week seems to show that Republicans are worried about the lackluster campaign of Donald Trump acolyte J.D. Vance? Lisa, this is a fascinating turn in this. You saw yesterday that the in Pennsylvania, the Democrat is starting to surge over the kind of crazy Republican that's running. We have a similar situation brewing here. Yeah. And, you know, Democrat Tim Ryan is, uh, you know, an internal polling by both Ryan's campaign and the GOP has found that he, you know, they're basically in a dead heat, Vance and Ryan. And Ryan is even ahead by a few points in a couple of polls. So, yeah, they're worried. So they're throwing money at J.D. Vance. The Senate Leadership Fund, which is kind of uh 
under the aegis of Senator Mitch McConnell, will spend $28 million on TV and radio ads for J.D. Vance to start after Labor Day. That puts Ohio number three in PAC spending by this SLF PAC. The Georgia race is drawing $37.1 million from this group. They're in number one. And then Pennsylvania, they're throwing money at that uh, candidate, the 34 $1.1 million in that race. And so this increased spending obviously reflects concerns by the national GOP that Tim Ryan is out raising Vance, which he has. And Ryan has never stopped running ads. He's run them all summer. And only now are you seeing a couple of J.D. Vance ads popping up. So, uh, you know, so he's been able to campaign on TV with like no response from, from Vance at all. Kyle Kondik, who is a political analyst at the University of Virginia, and an Ohio native says this spending may change the national perception of the Ohio race. But he said, you know, this also raises a big red flag that they're worried about this race. Well, this is the result of Donald Trump leading his party down a dangerous path. He endorsed Vance. That's probably what got Vance over the line. If Ryan were running against Matt Dolan, this would be a very different contest. Matt Dolan would appear appeal to the center, which J.D. Vance isn't going to appeal to the center. He's 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 on the, as far right crazy as can be. And abortion will be in this debate and all sorts of other issues, which would have been different with another candidate. But Donald Trump weighed in and now has left the Republicans. They could lose a seat. Forget adding a seat in the Senate. This one could go Democrat. It's fascinating that they just now recognize that two weeks before Labor Day. But that is a lot of money. So we'll have to see how effective it is. The problem they still have is they're putting $28 million behind a guy who is just so darned unlikable. (laughs) Every time you see him speak, he's just not somebody who resonates warm fuzzies. Uh, it's It's going to be the most interesting race on the ballot, I suspect. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Leadership positions in all walks of life in Cleveland do not reflect the demographics of the population, and Case Western University wants to do something about that. Laura, what are they doing? They've developed a program called the Executive Leadership Development Program. It's open to all professionals, but it was explicitly created for black leaders where uh, participants can come and engage and connect on Thursday through Saturday once a month. The applicants should have about 10 years of prior business experience and five years of management experience. And the idea is that Black leadership hasn't grown in Northeast Ohio, not because black leaders are not ready for the positions, but because of systemic issues that causes underrepresentation where they haven't had the chance, they haven't had the networking. So it's going to assist folks in preparing to make sure that they are part of that mix. Okay. We're having a technical difficulty here. I hope we're, we're all back. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The Big Ten College Sports Conference cut a $7 billion television deal. So what does that mean for Ohio State University? And more importantly, what does it mean for their fans? Courtney. Yes, ABC and ESPN have been carrying Big Ten games for decades, and that's not going to happen anymore starting in 2023. We got the details on the streaming deal between Big Ten and various networks. So now those games are going to be shown on Fox. CBS, NBC, they'll continue to be on the Big Ten Network at times, and they're also coming to Peacock's streaming service. So like I said, this will start next year. It'll run for seven years, and 
we learned that this deal's worth over $7 billion. So OSU and co- other conference members of the Big Ten are expected to get between 80 and $100 million annually. That's a big boost over the current and the previous deal, which was around $54 million annually. And, and we're going to see games play out, you know, throughout the day across those networks. And, you know, we noted in, in our reporting on this that, that OSU will probably, you know, they'll be even more in demand because there's more places where these, where these games will be streaming. It, it won't just be Fox and ABC, ESPN like it was before. Well, we know from the popularity of our, our, our podcast called Buckeye Talk, hosted by Doug Maurice, how widely spread the Ohio State fandom is. We get listens from across the planet, not just across the United States. So you're right. By, by making a greater availability, more people will be able to tap in than were before. And they'll be very grateful because, as we know from Buckeye Talk, they're a very vocal group of folks that like to, to sound off on how their team is doing. $7 billion, though, it just staggers the imagination how much money is involved in college football. And come January, people in Ohio will be able to bet on it so the money machine will rev up even faster. And, and Doug Maurice kind of laid out what OSU fan, fans can potentially expect out of this deal. He kind of guessed that there'd be four or five noon games on Fox, a couple games hitting that midday time slot on CBS, and then a, a couple of primetime games on NBC as well, and then potentially one game a year on the Peacock streaming service. And you can imagine NBC wants to draw OSU and Big Ten eyeballs to their streaming service. So it makes sense that that's part of this deal as well. Okay, if you're a Buckeyes fan and you've never listened to Buckeye Talk, you ought to check it out anywhere you can listen to podcasts. People love Doug on that podcast. It's one of the most popular sports podcasts in America. It's Today in Ohio. Republicans are worried that an independent candidate might be on the ballot and steal some votes for Mike DeWine, but that's not going to happen. What's the deal, Lisa? The Ohio Supreme Court upheld Secretary of State Frank LaRose's rejection of petitions from Geauga County residents F. Patrick and Mary Cunane to run as independent candidates for governor. Um, they, they, was, they were rejected because they voted in the May GOP primary five days after they filed a declaration that they were going to run as independents in the race. But the Cunanes argued that uh, there were previous court rulings that, uh, that voting in partisan primaries doesn't determine if candidates can run as independents. Um, the Supreme Court in its unsigned ruling said, well, past rulings rest on a logical fallacy. The Cunanes said that they didn't swear an oath to the GOP when they voted and they blamed poll workers for not offering them an issues-only ballot during the primary. Uh, the Supreme Court says that asking for a partisan ballot is an act of affiliation with that party. I think this will bear on what the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections does in a separate case where somebody who is sitting in the legislature as a Democrat wants to be on the ballot as an independent. It just doesn't make sense. If you are part of a party officially, what the Supreme Court seems to be saying here is you can't pretend to be an independent. Not a surprising ruling, but given how confusing Ohio's rules are, it's nice that we have a precedent now upon which future decisions can be based. It is today in Ohio. We only have room for one more, and I don't want to miss this one. 
Generations of Northeast Ohioans who learned to ski at Boston Mills and Brandywine have a chance to own a piece of their childhoods. And Laura, I'm talking about you. Are you bidding today? <laughs> yes. And my mom and my sister are like, why did you write a story about this? The prices are going to get inflated because now people are going to know about it. So, but my husband is glad because he's like, what are we going to do with a chairlift in our backyard? Right. So we're talking it's about- a swing, right? You would right, make it well, into a swing. Yeah. I, I have to build something or someone's going to have to build something to make that into a swing. And it's not going to be me or my husband. So anyway, Vail Resorts is auctioning off the double chairlift. It's right in the middle at uh, North Bowl and Peter's Pride at Boston Mills. It has been there. I don't know how long, but definitely since I learned to ski in the mid 80s. So 10 chairs from that chair and then four or sorry, 20 from the quads at Brandywine, they've had a couple of old quad chairs there. That's four people. Those are going to be auctioned off as well as signs from the old uh, chairlift. Actually, Alpine Valley is going to have a couple of, uh, can have a chairlift as well too. So Vail is finally making some improvements to these ski resorts that they bought three years ago. Bidding is going to start today at noon, $250 minimum for the doubles, a hundred for the quads because you're going to have to have a truck to get that thing home. I mean, I might be able to get the chairlift in my SUV. I, I'm like <laughs> cursing myself for getting rid of the van already. <laughs> what about the uh, the signs? I mean, those signs have been there since as far back as you can remember. They, they have a very almost 1950s feel to them. But are you interested in getting one of the tin signs, the maps of the trails or the little goofy figures they use to yeah, absolutely people. i think those would be a lot easier to transport and i could put those on my garage or something so yeah i i mean there is so much nostalgia i think for people who grew up skiing these these ski resorts i mean they're so small uh we never named none of the chairs at boston mills have names like if you go out west or even to holiday valley every chair is a name we don't name them it's like yeah that one you can just point to it <laughs> so um yeah i think i think there'll be some competition for these. The good thing is anything over the 250 that you bid and you pay uh, is tax deductible because it does go to the Boys and Girls um, group of Northeast Ohio and then something called the Epic Foundation for Vail employees. You can find Laura's piece about this on cleveland.com. It tells you how to register and get signed up. Bidding starts at noon, so you want to get registered before then. And bidding starts, I think, on the chairs at 100 bucks and the signs at 25 bucks. 20, right, Laura? Yeah, exactly. And the bidding closes that's on Saturday at noon. So it's a pretty quick turnaround. It's Today in Ohio, and that does it for a week of news. Thank you, Lisa, Laura, and Courtney, and thank you for listening. Layla's back on Monday. Come back and give us a listen. 